Dog Nation, and welcome to more postseason coverage. I'm Kelly Mansell. Later, we're going to bring in Connor Riley, but I do think it's important to note that we are here in the brand new studio. We are the second show that gets to utilize this thing that we've been working on for weeks and weeks. So to finally see it coming to play and for us to be able to use it, it's an honor to be here in the brand new studio. It will look a little bit different for Dog Nation Daily next week, but breaking it in for Brandon, hoping that he'll be a little less nervous by the time he comes back from his Icon of the Seas cruise. But today I'm going to bring in Connor. We're going to break down the winners and the losers from this offseason. We're going to talk about what's left in the portal as the new dates approach. And also we're going to preview the Reese's Senior Bowl that's taking place next week. And it will feature six Georgia players. So I want to go ahead and bring in my good friend, Connor Riley, who's behind me. That's going to take a minute to get used to, but it's good to see your face. We didn't get a chance to do this last week, so we have lots to cover today. Now, I, I gave you the prompt earlier that I needed three winners and three losers, but I need to know from your perspective, how did you f lay the basis for this? How do you decide what's a winner and what's a loser in this case? I think part of it, you know, you can look at this in a 10,000 foot view as we'll get in here to today. And then you can also look at some, you know, very just straight line forward thinking things of the way that things have gone for Georgia and how they change and go about that way. So, you know, it, it's a nebulous term. I know some people will get mad. How dare you call so-and-so a loser? It's not actually all that serious. It, it, it's a common, you know, journalism thing. Winners and losers, you know, we could get grades, whatever. I'm not calling anyone directly a loser. It's just sometimes, you know, in sports, <laughs> there are winners and there are losers. Uh, Josh Allen played a great game last week. He is also still technically a loser based on what happened with the Buffalo Bills. So that that doesn't take, in my mind, anything away from it. It doesn't take anything in my mind away from these concepts we're about to discuss here today. Now, you've been doing this for quite some time. Has this been a normal offseason for the dogs? Um, I mean, it's always different when you have a transfer portal. And I think every year we we use the transfer portal. We have a better understanding of the way things are going to go. I would say certainly in comparison to last offseason, it has been a more normal offseason for Georgia. And so in that sense, you know, it's a lot of news, a lot of stuff going on. It's the first time since 2020 that Georgia wasn't in the college football playoff. So uh, there was some adjustment there as well. But all things considered, I do think that, you know, for the most part, with maybe the exception of the things that have happened after Nick Saban's retirement, this has been a pretty normal offseason and what I think we're going to continue to see moving forward so long as the NCAA continues to allow the transfer portal to operate in the manner in which it does. It goes without question that one of the high points of this offseason has been Carson Beck's announcement to return to the dog. So let's go ahead and start with our first winner, Carson Beck. Yeah, I, it can't be understated how big it is for him to come back. You look at some of the top teams coming back next year. Of the final top 15 teams in the AP poll for the 2023 season, only three teams bring back both coordinators, their head coach, and their starting quarterback. Two of them, Texas and Ole Miss, Georgia happens to play next season. We'll get into that shortly. And then Georgia is obviously one of them. I think Carson Beck absolutely would have been drafted in this year's NFL draft. I think he would have been uh, no later than a second-round pick. Uh, the big reason I think he ends up coming back is just to get more starts, more experience. And for Georgia to get a play caller and a quarterback like Carson Beck back for another season, I think can't be understated enough, especially when it's going to be a more difficult schedule. And there's going to be more on the quarterback's shoulders next season when you don't have Cedric Van Pran in front of you and you don't have Brock Bowers and Ladd McConkey out at wide receiver. They're going to ask Carson to do a lot more, and I think that's part of the reason why he ends up coming back. But it's not just a, a focus of Carson because I think when you look at the transfer portal as well, 
you go out, you bring in three wide receivers through there uh, in London Humphreys, Colby Young, and Michael Jackson the third. You bring in Trevor Etienne, who's really, I think, going to help that running back room. Uh, and Georgia might not even be done in the transfer portal as Ben Urasek, a tight end from Stanford, is a guy that recently took a visit here and is a name to watch there as well. So Carson Beck is a winner because of what he means to this Georgia offense but also how Georgia has gone about adding pieces around Carson Beck with some of the NFL draft and transfer portal losses that this team has seen. So I want to pull up this graphic here that we made for Carson Beck as a winner. Um, obviously, he is the Heisman favorite to start with here. And if we could get that graphic up, I'm going to read some of these stats. He finished second in SEC for passing guards this season, finishes first in SEC for completions, and finishes third in SEC for passing touchdowns. He was top three in almost every single category. So how beneficial was it for him, really, to come back? Could he have done without it? I think there's a world, yes, but it's a deep quarterback class this year. I think you could see four, possibly even five guys taken in the first round. And I think Carson Beck has the talent to be 1-1, the number one overall pick in the 2025 NFL draft. There are some things he's going to have to build on because he is a very good player. He has the minimums when you look at athleticism, size, and things like that. But he's certainly not a plus athlete. I wouldn't say he has a plus arm in terms of, you know, being able to make like 60-yard throws like we saw Josh Allen make last week in that game against Kansas City. He has a good arm, but it is not a, a, a top five in the NFL arm. Kirby Smart mentioned this in this offseason. Carson wins with his mind. And so if you get more of Carson doing that, of making checks and reads at the line of scrimmages, breaking down defenses, and playing at an elite level for another 14, 15, maybe even 16 starts – you have, I think, the, the requisite work under your belt to try and go out there and be an NFL-level quarterback. I think there are only five quarterbacks uh, that have fewer than 15 career starts that have gone in the first round, and it's not exactly a great list. Cam Newton, Mark Sanchez, Blaine Gabbert, Anthony Richardson, and Mitchell Trubisky. Other than maybe Cam Newton, none of those guys were real difference makers at the NFL level. And so I think to get another round of starts under him to further establish himself the next season, Carson could have come out this season, but I think he's got some things that he knows he can work on and show and really just get a bigger sample size to show NFL teams the player that he is. So what are the other adjustments that he needs to make that can take him from this good great to Heisman potential winner like what are the other adjustments that you would want to see yeah I, I think in particular if you go back and look at the Alabama game where he didn't necessarily play his best I think he needs to maybe do a better job of elevating those around him look Georgia's one of the most talented teams if not the most talented team in the country and I do think a lot of quarterbacks would have been successful in that system last year and so I think going into this season he's going to have the opportunity to show that he is sort of the engine that drives this and is not necessarily so much a passenger. You know, replacing Brock Bowers is going to be tough. Cedric Van Pran's one of the all-time great offensive linemen at the University of Georgia. They have to replace their top two leading rushers in Dejan Edwards and Kendall Milton. There's going to be a lot on Carson Beck's plate next season to go out there and show what kind of a player he is, what kind of a leader he is. I think he easily becomes the voice in the face of this team in 2024. And so it gives him, I think, a chance to go out there and show, hey, I can be the face of the franchise for the University of Georgia football program. And I think that's something that obviously a lot of teams, especially those picking at the top of the NFL draft, are going to be looking for. They're not necessarily looking for a Brock Purdy type who can come in and just distribute the ball. 
They want a guy that can elevate those around him and cover some of the holes like you see Patrick Mahomes do for the Chiefs this season. And so if he's able to do that on some level for Georgia this year, which I think he will be asked to do, I think that's really going to impress NFL teams come next fall if he's successfully able to do so. And I believe that Carson has that winner mentality too. It's interesting that you picked him as a winner because we talked about it before, but he could have easily just said, I'm going to go to the draft, but he wasn't happy with the way his Alabama performance went down. He could have ended it all right there and would have been fine, but I think he's got this winner mentality. He wants to come back and prove uh, himself, and not just for himself, but for his team and for the country as a whole. So we're going to leave that with our first winner, Carson Beck. Now let's go to our first loser. And I'm going to pull up this graphic here because it is wide receiver recruiting. If you watch Before the Hedges with Jeff Sintel, you'll notice that the wide receiver blurb was looking a little bit empty. Um, so they only signed two wide receivers in this class. However, they do acquire Colby Young and London Humphreys via the transfer portal. But you lose Lad McConkey and Marcus Rosemead Jackson. Why do you think that the recruiting cycle was lacking wide receivers? Because I feel like that's something in the past that UGA has been really strong with. Uh, it, it's a number of issues, and there are a number of reasons why. Uh, I think you can point to the success of Brock Bowers maybe working against the Georgia wide receiver mm. recruiting there. He, he's the best player on your team last year. Obviously, you want to get him the ball. He's quite frankly the best offensive player in the last three teams. And, and I do think that it has been used by other schools to say, hey, you know, especially in big time recruiting battles with wide receivers. Hey, they throw the ball to the tight end a lot. That means wide receivers aren't getting as many targets. I don't think that's necessarily fair, but that's recruiting in this modern age. I think the other thing, Georgia is very, I think, rigid with how it goes about using NIL and, and trying to, especially in recruitments, use that as a way to entice kids to come to the University of Georgia. In my opinion, they are not necessarily super aggressive in comparison to some other teams. And I think when you look at certain positions, I think quarterback and wide receiver are the two positions where you have to be most aggressive with your NIL money, especially giving it to guys up front. And the reality is Georgia just does not function that way. And, you know, we'll ultimately see long-term how that works out for the program. But to get a lot of these top wide receivers, you know, you saw Jeremiah Smith, the number one overall recruit in the 2024 recruiting cycle. He waited to make sure all the paperwork from Ohio State was in when it came to his NIL deal for him to officially sign and go there instead of going to Miami. You see Georgia losing Nykar, a, a guy mm -hmm. that they thought was really talented, to uh, Miami because of that. So I think, you know, it, it's a number of issues that are working against Georgia at this point in time. And I think that's why you've seen them lean on the transfer portal a little bit more. Kirby Smart has said that they obviously want to continue to recruit the wide receiver position at a high level moving forward. I think they absolutely have to do that in 2025 because – you know, over the last two cycles, they've brought in five wide receivers from the transfer portal. In the high school recruiting rankings, Georgia will only have four signees from either the 2023 or the 2024 mm -hmm. recruiting class on their roster next season that they signed out of high school. So it, it's something to monitor moving forward in terms of how Georgia goes about building this wide receiver room, because I do think you look across, they still want to recruit from the high school ranks and not lean on the transfer portal, but they're having to do that at the wide receiver position. Mm -hmm. So UGA brings in Ra Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovett last season from the transfer portal. This year they go get Colby Young and London Humphreys. Is that enough to make up for the lack of signees that Georgia's bringing in? It's going to have to be. Now, obviously, you've seen positive developments from guys like Dylan Bell. Anthony Evans is someone who I think they really need to take some steps forward this offseason. And I will say, you know, Colby Young and Michael Jackson, those guys are one-year guys, as in they just they're here to play with Carson Beck this year, and then their eligibility is done. 
Uh, Dominic Lovett, Ra Ra Thomas, both those guys had multiple years of eligibility, and they're going to be back for Georgia this year using that second year. Uh, London Humphreys has three years of eligibility remaining. I think Georgia, for the most part, when they when they pull guys out of the transfer portal, they're looking for, especially at this wide receiver position, for multiple years of eligibility. That way they can grow and develop in this system. I think that's in part because of the struggles that they know they've had at recruiting the wide receiver position out of high school. And so it's effectively using the transfer portal to plug some of the holes that they have there in that wide receiver room. One point that you made earlier that I think it was an interesting take is you have a guy like Brock Bowers, and that could hurt you in some recruiting cycles, seeing how much a tight end is getting the ball. Even though you lose Brock Bowers, you still have guys like Lawson Lucky and Pierce Sperling. Can we potentially see them in a similar role as Brock getting as many touches as he did? As many as Brock, no, I don't think so. Uh, unless, you know, Lawson Lucky, Pierce Sperling, Jaden Riddell, mm-hmm. those guys are that good right away. And I think that would – eschew just what made Brock so special and you know if Brock Bowers grew on trees Brock Bowers wouldn't be as special as he is and so I think you know they're going to still lean on the tight ends I know they love what they have in Oscar Delp Todd Hartley's a big fan of Lawson Lucky I'm interested in seeing what Pierce Sperling can do because I do think with his size he could maybe even give you some reps at the wide receiver position and so they're still going to use their tight ends effectively and and build that way But this idea that there's a Brock Bowers type figure in that tight end room, I'm skeptical of that because Brock Bowers, in my opinion, is the best player to ever put on a Georgia Mm -hmm. football uniform. And you don't easily replace that, even if Todd Hartley and Kirby Smart have recruited the tight end position, not just as well as any on this roster, but as well as any team in the country has recruited a single position. So how do you fix this problem? Do you rely on the transfer portal or do you focus really heavy on wide receivers in the 2025 class? I think they need to hit big on some wide receivers in the 2025 class. I know Travis Smith out of Westlake High School is someone they're very much after. C.J. Wiley from Milton High School. Those are guys they have to target there as well. I, you know, it, it's a combination of, of, I think, especially as we get further and further away from Brock. You know, putting wide receivers into the NFL, I think Lad McConkey going as a top two-round wide receiver is going to be a positive thing for wide receivers moving forward. I think if you continue to have draft success at that wide receiver position, I think that's going to be really important. So if you're able to see Marcus Rosemary Jackson get drafted, you're able to see Lad McConkey get drafted on top of guys like George Pickens already being drafted. A.D. Mitchell, I think, is a credit to what Georgia was able to do there, even though he finishes his career at Texas. If you're able to consistently win through the draft and develop that way, I think that is a way that you potentially help cure some of these issues. You know, if this time next year we're talking about Dominic Lovett, Ra Ra Thomas, uh, Dylan Bell possibly as NFL draft wide receivers, I think that's probably the best way that Georgia goes about fixing some of these wide receiver issues because, you know, wide receivers are still going to command top dollar in NIL, uh, in, in, in NIL bidding. And so, you know, unless you find guys that are willing to take discounts at the top, you know, the Mike Matthews types, mm-hmm. Jeremiah Smith, we already mentioned those guys. And they just quite frankly don't seem to have any interest in doing that, understandably so. So I, I think the best path for Georgia is the guys that they do have, they have to develop them into NFL wide receivers. And then eventually I think that makes it a little bit harder to negatively recruit against Georgia at that position. What wide receiver do you see stepping up this year? Who can become the guy for the dogs? 
Well, I, I think if you're looking for someone in particular, it's probably Dylan Bell. Uh, you know, Dominic Lovett had a nice first season, and you could certainly see him growing into more next year. But I think Dylan Bell is a guy who can do a lot of different things for this Georgia team next year and be used in a variety of different ways. He's welcomed the Debo Samuel comparisons, and, and I think that's a guy that he compares favorably to a running back playing wide receiver. Obviously, you saw against Tennessee this year the touchdown pass he had. I think he is just scratching the surface of what he can do at wide receiver. And with Georgia being in a better depth spot at running back this year, I think that's going to allow Dylan to further focus on his development as a wide receiver for this team. And in terms of an under radar, under the radar guy, I'm really interested in seeing how Anthony Evans develops this mm-hmm. offseason. Didn't do a whole lot during the regular season, but then he has a very big punt return in that SEC championship game in a big spot and then scores his first career touchdown against Florida State in the Orange Bowl. His speed is something that that a lot of these wide receivers don't have, and I do think that it is a difference maker. I think you see the way that Alabama has used guys like Jalen Waddell, Isaiah Bond. I think Anthony Evans fits in that mold for Georgia, and so I'll be really interested in seeing how he develops this offseason because I do think that he's a guy, while he might not necessarily be a starter for Georgia next season, I think he's someone who can play a key role for this Georgia offense and really help this wide receiver room. Well, while they may be an off-season loser, there's still a lot of time. We've got Transport Portal opening up back April 15th, and we know that the 2025 recruiting cycle, it's about to get really heavy, so we'll see what the dogs decide to do with that. But let's go ahead and move on to our next winner, which is Kirby Smart. He's a winner in our books all the time. Even though the season didn't end how a lot of fans imagined that it would, he is now undisputedly the current greatest college football coach. That's still coaching. Why is he a winner in your book, Connor? I think you look at some of the instability at the top of this sport. Mm -hmm. Jim Harbaugh is back to the NFL. Nick Saban's retired. Kalen DeBoer is trying to follow in Nick Saban's footsteps there. Uh, Ryan Day is bringing in Bill O'Brien and having to spend heavily to, to fortify his roster there. There's a lot of instability at the top of the sport, especially as they move into a new era here in college football as we expand to a 12-team playoff. You know, the SEC and Big Ten welcome in uh, Texas, Oklahoma, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. And so I think Kirby Smart is in a position where if he's able to find success this first year in a 12-team playoff and really keep things rolling as programs like Michigan, Alabama, Texas, Ohio State sort of deal with some change here, I think that's really going to set Georgia up well for the rest of this decade as we sort of get into a 12-team playoff in a more year-in, year-out staple. You look at where Alabama was when this 14 playoff came in. Uh, you could say Clemson there as well. They found early success. Uh, Clemson making the college football playoff, the four-teamer in their second year there, and then they go on a run, make six straight, win two national championships. Georgia's going to have an easier time getting into the college football playoff every year just because of the talent that they have. But I think Kirby Smart, because of all the instability at the top of this sport, I think is in position. I'm not. It's unfair to say that he's going to be the next Nick Saban because Saban is an all-time coach. Mm-hmm. But he is in a position to, I think, really be the top guy in the sport in, in a way that maybe we didn't necessarily see or feel three, four years ago when it first sort of was hashed that we were going to have a 12-team college football playoff. Well, they say that once you're at the top, there's only one place you can go. So how does a guy like Kirby Smart stay at the top? I mean, he could get in a rocket ship and go to space. You could still (laughs) find a way to go up that way. I think the big thing, again, is just continuing to both manage the roster, but also show adaptability. I think you look at Dabo Sweeney, a guy who, Mm. like Kirby Smart, has two national championships. But he's been a little bit more rigid. He has not adapted to the transfer portal era just yet. And while I do think Clemson does have competitive NIL stuff, 
I, I, I think that they that Sweeney is maybe a cautionary tale for Kirby Smart to follow up just because you win two national championships. It doesn't necessarily make you infallible because certainly from a national landscape, uh, uh, Sweeney is not seen as the coach that he was once seen as. And to the point that you had Alabama fan, Alabama fans saying anybody but Dabo when Nick Saban came mm-hmm. available. Uh, it's saying that in 2019 would have just seemed so, so impossible. So I think it's both knowing how to properly continue to manage your roster, as I think he did a very good job of that this offseason in terms of some of the guys they were able to keep on this roster while also still showing the flexibility that he can adapt and change with the times as the sport continues to change. Because I know there are a lot of coaches out there that aren't very happy with the college football schedule right now, transfer portal, NIL, and all that. If this stuff is going to change in the next couple of years, Georgia and Kirby Smart are going to have to adapt once again. And so it'll be interesting to sort of see how they continue to follow with that and move as this sport continues to change. Because while I think for the most part, the big changes are done, I think there will be some slight changes that will be important to adapt and keep up with. You mentioned a guy like Dabo who hasn't really been able to adapt to this new era and this constantly changing college football world. How? What are the, the specific points that Kirby's done right in terms of adaptability? I think the big thing is continue, and you, 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 hear, you hear him stress this so much, build a culture of, of guys wanting to keep coming back and getting better all the time. And I think that starts in recruiting. Georgia's at a point now where, you know, they can probably select kids if they want to in terms of, hey, come 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 here and play for us at the University of Georgia. But Kirby doesn't try and go out and win every big battle. He doesn't try and go out and sign every five star. Uh, well, yes, they, they want to sign a lot of them. I think they are looking for guys that sort of fit their program and fit their ideals in terms of, you know, they want to come in, compete right away for playing time, but know that it might not necessarily happen. And thus, you have to keep getting better all the time. Uh, You know, there are a lot of guys that could go out and start right away at other programs, command better NIL deals elsewhere. But because of the way Kirby has developed throughout his program, and you see that in recent NFL drafts, uh, because of that development track record, it's easier to sell guys, hey, come here, learn for a year or two, get on the field right away if you play, if, if the thing matches up with you. And that ability to continuously develop, I think, is a big reason why Georgia finds itself in the position it does entering the 2024 season. And with that, we will make our next winner, Kirby Smart. Now, I am really excited to talk about this loser that you have here, and that is the Georgia-Alabama rivalry. Depending on who you ask, some people might say that this is a win. So why was it a loss for you? Uh, I think there's probably a part of Kirby Smart and, and just the competitor that he is wishes he was better than one in five against Nick Saban. And you know, obviously Saban is retired. Georgia will never play Alabama and Nick Saban in the sort of manner in which they were again. And, you know, for a while, Alabama was the measuring stick for Georgia. And I don't think that's going to be the case anymore. You know, I expect them to take some slight step back and Kalen DeBoer. We'll see if they're able to get back to that championship level where they were once again and how quickly it takes. And Kalen DeBoer is obviously a great coach, but when you lose some of the players that they've lost to the transfer portal, Caden Proctor, uh, Caleb Downs, obviously, I, I, I think that takes a little bit of sting out of the roster. And, you know, when you make these big changes at the top, you know, finding a new head coach, and this rivalry is going to take on a different feel. There's no prior history between Kalen DeBoer and Nick Saban, much like there was between Saban and Kirby Smart, with Smart obviously being his defensive coordinator in Alabama for so long. So in terms of this game mattering as much, in terms of from a national perspective, in terms of the, the Smart versus Saban battle, 
it, it, it's a loser in the sense that it's gone and it just doesn't mean as much anymore. Now, Georgia fans are still going to be super excited when the Bulldogs go down and visit Tuscaloosa on September 28th. They're going to need to win that game because it, it's much easier to sell and stomach that it was just a Kirby Smart, Nick Saban thing rather than maybe potentially actually being an Alabama might just be a better program than Georgia thing. I don't believe that, but if Kalen DeBoer finds early success and they're able to win that game on September 28th, uh, you're going to hear a lot of people talking about that. So I think in a granular sense, you know, Alabama Georgia just doesn't mean as much anymore without Nick Saban, given how Saban tormented Georgia for so long. And so in that sense, you know, because I always felt that these were the biggest games whenever these two teams had met quite literally in a national championship setting to end the 2021 season. So it'll be interesting moving forward, seeing how this rivalry changed, but it's hard for me to sit here today and say that when these two teams meet going forward, it's going to mean as much as it did when it was Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban. So in terms of losing the competitiveness of what this rivalry has been between Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, who is hurt more by the by losing the rivalry, Alabama or Georgia? I mean, it, Alabama fans still want Nick Saban to be their head coach. So I'll say him. Uh, you know, Georgia has a ton of rivals, as Kirby Smart points out uh, time and time again. You know, Auburn's a big game. Tennessee has become a really big game with Josh Heupel mm -hmm. and what he's done there. Obviously, Florida – uh, Brandon's probably not too happy that I waited to mention them third there. You've got Georgia Tech as well. So there are a lot of just natural rivals that Georgia has. But the Alabama-Georgia one, these two teams had only played twice in the regular season going back to 2015. So whenever they meet, it's usually in a big setting, you know, SEC championship game, a national championship game. Maybe moving forward in a 12-team playoff, you see it then in, in a college football playoff, either quarterfinal or semifinal. So I, I think, you know, in that sense, it, it's a game that – and, again, it's going to be a big game. Dog Nation's going to do a great job covering it and hyping it up. But without Nick Saban on those sidelines, it just doesn't quite mean as much. And I can say from an Alabama perspective, look, I know they're high on Kalen DeBoer. He's picked up some big wins of late. You know, landing Ryan Williams, uh, the five-star 2024 wide receiver, was, I think, significant for him. But as much as they can love – Kalen DeBoer, they'd push him in oncoming traffic if it meant Nick Saban would come back and coach for another year right now. So I, I think in the long term, not having Nick Saban hurts Alabama more than it does Georgia and the Georgia-Alabama rivalry. Well, we're going to find out just how little the rivalry means when UGA travels to play Alabama. And with that, we're going to go to our next loser, which is UGA's road schedule. So if we pull up the graphic here, we can see as a media member, I have to say I am excited that we get to go these places, but it is a really tough road schedule. You've got Kentucky on September 14th at Alabama on September 28th. We're going to Texas on October 19th, which is also the same weekend as Formula One. And then you have to go to Ole Miss on November 9th. Connor, when you take a look at those four, can you rank them in terms of most difficult to least difficult? Yeah, I, I think most difficult. Texas is number mm -hmm. one. They're a top five team, maybe the number two team, depending on which polls you look at entering next season. They were a college football playoff team this past year. I would actually go LSU or Ole Miss rather at number two because mm -hmm. you get them the week after you play Florida. You know, obviously Georgia Florida is an emotional game later on in the season, and Ole Miss it has really loaded up in the transfer portal. They land two more offensive linemen from Washington today. They had already landed the number two overall player in Walter Nolan. They had added a lot of talent in some key spots for them 
uh, entering this next season. Number three, I, I think you still have to put Alabama there, given just how much talent still is on that team, even though losing Nick Saban and some of the pieces they've lost is significant. And then at number four, you know, you put Kentucky there, but Kentucky's a team that in mm-hmm. the past, especially when they go up to Lexington, they found a way to give Georgia problems. And you look at some of the portal ads they made, they take in Brock Vandergriff, who's likely to be their starting quarterback. Jermaine Dumas-Johnson played a ton of snaps for Georgia. When those guys step on the field, they're not going to be afraid of Georgia. They went up against them in practice every day. So for that to be your quote-unquote easiest road game, I, I think speaks to how difficult that is. And you look at the transfer portal and the way that all those programs have used it. You know, Alabama is, I think, obviously a loser because of the coaching change that they've mm-hmm. gone through. But Texas added a lot of talent there. They land Isaiah Bond. They land Trey, Trey Moore out of UTSA, who's a top pass rusher. Ole Miss is probably number one or number two in terms of the talent that they brought in overall. And then you look at the additions that Kentucky has made. Georgia was already, in my mind, going to have to play the toughest road schedule in the country next season. And the transfer portal, I think, has only made that more difficult for the Bulldogs. Even with one of those games, Alabama, I think, being made a little bit easier because you see Georgia lose, uh, or Alabama rather lose, Caden Proctor, Caleb Downs, and some of the big pieces of the transfer portal there. So you say that UGA has the toughest on-the-road schedule for the SEC this upcoming season. Is there anybody else in that ballpark that uh, can be compared to the difficulty of UGA's road schedule? I think Alabama is interesting. They'll have to go to LSU. They'll have to go to Tennessee. And then at the end of the season, we'll see what Oklahoma looks like. But to end the season, they're at Oklahoma home against Auburn. That's a tough end of the season there. So I think Alabama does have a a, a tricky schedule there next season. Kaylee, you almost always ask me a big question here off the top of the lit, off the top of the show. And I'll point out that you didn't do that this time. Well, I mean, business today. I'm going to ask you you a question this time. Okay. Uh, Not just limited to Georgia, you know, football games. There's anywhere you could travel right now. Where would you travel to? Oh, uh, my dream place is Denver, Colorado. If I could hop on a plane and go to Colorado right now, I would. You need to aim higher, Kaylee. (laughs) Oh, well, I don't have a passport. So, like, realistically speaking, I couldn't go anywhere outside the U.S. Okay, let's let's say you had a passport. Oh, I would go to I would go to Tokyo. Okay, Tokyo. The most modern city in the world. Okay. Okay. Is, is that to your satisfaction, Connor? That, that is that is a better answer than Denver, Colorado. Okay. Yes. Like I said, I don't have a passport. So going out of the country has never been an option for me. Why is this relevant? I, we're just talking Georgia road schedule, traveling, you know, wanted to ask you a question, get to know you a little bit more, but I, I guess we'll leave that to you. Well, speaking of taking a trip and winners and losers, you, Dog Nation, you could be a winner if you enter our Dog Nation Cruise giveaway. It ends January 31st. Your time is running out, so you need to go enter to win at dognation.com. You're going to win a cabin for up to two people on Allure of the Seas, which is an Oasis-class ship. Um, You're going to get a hotel room for the night before. You're also going to get a gas card and onboard credit. And the only thing that you have to do is tell us your favorite Brock Bowers moment from the last couple of seasons there's tons that you can pick um so make sure you go to our website and you enter in the cruise giveaway and hopefully i will get the chance to see you there and you can just hang out with the dog nation team we're going to do tons of fun things we're going to play trivia maybe hear some people sing awful karaoke and then we're going to watch the first night of the draft together and i know you don't want to miss out on all of that so take a trip with dog nation you could be the winner check out dognation.com for the cruise giveaway all right and now let's go to our last winner i wanted to end on a winner i gave you two losers in a world because we want to end on a positive note. And I think it's interesting with your last winner because 
if you would have if I would have asked you 2023 season people would have said this was a loser and that is the defensive line so let's go ahead and take a look at this graphic right here let's see what happened with the UGA defensive line during this offseason all right the big ones Nazir Stackhouse Warren Brinson they are coming back UGA also acquires another defensive lineman out of the transfer portal, and UGA signs five defensive linemen in their newest class, including guys like Joseph Jonah Ajanye and Justin Green and Connor. As I mentioned, the Georgia defensive line could be considered a loser from this past season. So where did that shift happen? I think getting back Stackhouse and Brinson can't be understated enough. Uh, those guys have played a ton of snaps, and – the reality is not only did Georgia, I think, not have a, a difference maker in the way of like a Jordan Davis or a Jalen Carter this year, they just weren't as deep uh, this season as they had been in years past. Uh, you know, the big stat that had been thrown around, Nazir Stackhouse played more snaps in 12 games this season. This was going into the SEC championship game. Then Jordan Davis had played in 15. And so, yes, you lose Zion Logue, you lose Tramiel Waltower, Jonathan Jefferson leaves via the transfer portal. But to bring back Stackhouse and Brinson, two veterans that are going to help that defensive line, they're going to keep guys like Christian Miller and Jordan Hall and Jamal Jarrett fresh, I think is significant. You bring back Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, Michael Williams is going to play some outside linebacker, some defensive line still for you. And then when you add in those young guys that you sign, now I'm not expecting any of those guys to come in and be Palme Jalen Carter, but those guys are going to push for playing time. And, you know, Joseph Ajanye ends up becoming a five-star prospect in the final rankings evaluation. Uh, I know there are a lot of people out there that are very high on Nasir Johnson out of Dublin, Georgia. It, it is a deeper defensive line for Georgia next season. And when you're able to bring back two veterans in Warren Brinson and in that Stackhouse, I think that's really significant for what this defensive line could possibly be next season. I'm not saying that they're going to turn into these two guys because they ended up becoming first-round draft picks, but you look at the impact that Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt coming back for that 2021 season had for that defensive line. I don't think it would be a shock to see something similar where those guys come back, and I'm not necessarily saying Stackhouse or Brinson could be a star, though I think Stackhouse has that potential. But it also is going to allow other guys on that line to take on bigger roles and play more snaps because they're fresher. So a, a guy like Tyrion Ingham Dawkins really, I think, benefits from this. A guy like Christian Miller or Jordan Hall, they're able to make strides this offseason, really stand to benefit from coming in and be able to give their best in smaller sample sizes because you have guys like Stackhouse and Brinson ahead of them. So how crucial is a strong defensive line going to be with this new SEC schedule? Because Regardless of what we were talking about with the away games, there's never going to be an easy SEC schedule from here on out. So taking the defensive line from what it was last season to what it could be this season, how important is that going to be in this new era? I mean, you look at Georgia's two national championship winning teams, the defensive line was among, if not the best position groups on those squads. And you can just look at this 2023 team. Yes, they had a lot of impressive moments. You know, Nastakas' interception in Missouri, I think, is up there for maybe the play of the year for this team. But this defensive line is just not what it was in recent seasons. And I think you can look at that Alabama game, especially late when Georgia had two chances down three. If they get a stop, they get the ball back, they can go down and take the lead and possibly win this game. The Georgia defense wasn't able to get off the field. And so I think a deeper defensive line keeps you fresher for later on in games. And so if you're able to capitalize off this and make the most out of the returns of Stackhouse and Brinson, I think that's going to go a long way in those bigger games of keeping guys fresh and being able to make plays in the fourth quarter late. You saw, you know, even in that national championship game, 
uh, that Georgia won against Alabama because they rotate so much. They were able to make the most and really limit what Alabama did in that final 15 minutes. And Georgia was able to take advantage and win a national championship. I, I think you look at those national championship teams to understand the importance of not just having elite defensive linemen, but having a lot of them. And that will be our last winner for our winners and losers segments. Now, let's take our losers and let's talk about what we can do to fix them. Let's see what's left in the transfer portal. The portal will open back up from April 15th to April 30th. What is the immediate need? I don't necessarily know if there's an immediate need. I think the big thing is going to be who goes into the portal and what sort of players Mm -hmm. are available. You look at Caleb Downs. Caleb Downs, I don't think, was a true need for this Georgia secondary in particular. (laughs) But because of the, you know, the recruiting background that Georgia had with him and because of just the type of player he is, it made a lot of sense for Georgia to target him. I think quarterback is potentially one to look at, but who is going to be that type of quarterback? You know, you you saw Georgia try and get Jade Maeva before he ultimately ends up at USC. I think if there's an elite wide receiver or an elite defensive lineman that go in that Georgia has some familiarity with when it comes to recruiting, I think those are two positions that you maybe see them look at there. But again, it's going to come down to who goes into the portal. I think from a defensive line perspective, we knew that Georgia was going to target people in that in that position. But the only two guys that really entered that I think were able to play up to Georgia's standard, maybe three. You have LT Overton at Alabama now. Walter Nolan at Ole Miss, and then Xavier McLeod from South Carolina, who Georgia actually landed. But Georgia was probably never going to land Walter Nolan with that being an NIL-level recruitment. So I think it's going to more so depend on who goes into the portal than necessarily what positions you're pulling for. Yeah, I definitely think that Caleb Downs was a want, but not necessarily a need. In your eyes, do we need another quarterback more, or do we need another wide receiver more? If you can get an elite wide receiver, I would say that that would be the position that you sort of go after. You look at Florida State this past season, Keon Coleman was a guy they added in the spring window from Michigan State, and he may have been their best offensive player, maybe even better than Jordan Travis. So I think wide receiver is a position where if an elite guy or a guy that can help Georgia goes in there, even though the Bulldogs have already landed Colby Young, Michael Jackson, and London Humphreys, uh, if there's another elite option in there, I think Georgia would would be very, very wise to go target someone like that. And out of the transfer guys, who do you think is going to make the most immediate difference? I think Trevor Etienne is a guy that can play a really big role. Obviously, Georgia losing Dejan Edwards, Kendall Milton there at that running back position. I think Georgia brings him in knowing that he can have a really big season. There's some questions at the running back position behind him. What do you get out of Roger Robinson, Andrew Paul? I'm not expecting to see much from Branson Robinson this year. And then, you know, Nate Frazier, who had a really good sort of winter, you know, uh, All-American Bowl. He's not going to arrive till the summer, and so that's going to be a tough learning curve for him to adapt to. So I think Trevor Etienne, the fact that he's here now, the fact that he has SEC experience, I think he can be a real difference maker. And Georgia hasn't had a 1,000-yard rusher since the 2019 season when it was DeAndre Swift. I think Trevor Etienne has a chance to to not just go past 1,000, but get significantly more than that if he delivers on some of what he showed at Florida. Well, hopefully the dogs will be able to pick up some more with the next transfer portal opening. That will be from April 15th to April 30th. But let's focus on some DGDs. We have the Reese's Senior Bowl coming up next week. I'm really excited to get the opportunity to go to Mobile, Alabama with Mike Griffith. have a lot of content coming your way. Let's take a look at the invites. We have Lab McConkie, Marcus Rosemey, Jack St., William Moat, Cedric Van Pran, Javon Bullard, and Tyke Smith. That is a solid group of dogs, if you ask me. But, Connor, what is the real benefit of playing in a senior bowl or an all-star game like this? The biggest thing is just the fact that you're able to go through reps, practice reps, game reps, so that the game means a little bit less than I think those practices do. 
in front of NFL personnel. It's a chance for, you know, scouts, coaches, et cetera, to get to see and get to work hands-on with these players. You've seen guys tremendously help themselves with the senior bowl, whether it, or, or, you know, the East West shrine game as well. And so you look at guys in the past that have gone and played in this game. I think it's a significant chance for guys like Javon Bullard and Lad McConkey, who maybe have some size questions in terms of how they're going to hold up at the next level. But if you're able to get down there and show what they did at the university of Georgia, they're going to impress NFL teams that I think potentially solidify themselves as at worst top 100 picks. So I think with those guys going down there, you know, Cedric Van Plan has a chance to be the number one center taken. I know he's going to impress teams in an interview setting. If he goes out and mm-hmm. plays well, I think he's a guy that can obviously help himself there. And even someone like Marcus Roseby, Jack Saint didn't have the most explosive career, but I think he's going to be able to go there and show teams what kind of a player he is and what he's able to do and how he can help a roster and maybe turn himself from someone who, you know, was seen as a fringe draft pick to solidifying himself as someone who will be taken in the 2024 NFL draft. So when you look at all six players, who could this be the most beneficial for? Who could this improve their draft stock the most if they have a standout performance? I think the guy for me is Javon Bullard. Uh, he's not going to test super well. And when I say super well, like I'm meaning like he's going to run like a four, he's not going to run a four three forty. He's not going to give you an elite uh, shuttle cone or, or or vertical jump there. But if he's able to go out there and play well in drills and practice well and rep well, I think that's going to ease some concerns that teams have about him. I know, you know, Christopher Smith is a guy last year who went and played in this game, ends up going in the fifth round there. I think the fact that he went and played in this game maybe helped ease some of the concerns that he had there. So uh, Javon is a guy that obviously uh, has played a ton of football for Georgia, a winning football player for this team. I think he and Tyke Smith both have a chance to go down there and answer a lot of questions about them from a size standpoint. You know, Lad McConkey is obviously an interesting player, but I think for him, the more important part will be how his medicals check out when he goes to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, uh, the two guys to really watch are Javon Bullard and Tyke Smith there. Well, the Reese's Senior Bowl will take place Saturday, February 3rd at 1 o'clock. Mike Griffith and I are going to get there on Monday, do some player interviews, so make sure you check out all the Dog Nation social media platforms because we're going to have a ton of content coming your way. And you did mention I didn't start the show with a big question like I usually do, so we're going to end the show with two big questions. The first one being, you live in Athens. You get the chance to see Mike Griffith a lot more than I do. Do you have any advice for me as I'm about to spend the next couple of days with him do you have any grand advice for spending this much time with mike griffith get your restaurant reservations in order <laughs> go. uh you know mike's great love him great to travel with he's not i would say the most adventurous adventurous eater so if there's some places you want to go and try in mobile which i would highly recommend it's a very good food city uh go ahead and get those uh ready or organized and this question was a hot topic in the booth the other day. It, it wasn't necessarily where I wanted to go with this, but I feel like you would have a really analyzed and probably well-spoken answer. So the grand question, all of Dog Nation, please comment your answers too. I'm always interested to see. It's my one of my go-to questions. Connor, you can eat dinner with three people dead or alive, but it can't be people that you know. It has to be, you know, grander than that. It can't, so be, Dem- it can't be Denver, Colorado, okay? It's got to be Tokyo yeah. level. yeah. Um, okay, man. Wow. This is really... <laughs> I, I knew you were because, ready for that. Uh, because, no, because I, I think Jonathan Allen, a defensive lineman, uh, former Alabama defensive lineman, uh, and, you know, current Washington commanders defensive lineman was asked this question one time <laughs> and he gave the answer of Hitler, which is the worst <gasps> possible answer you could give. So we're not giving that one. Um, if let's see, if I had to go three, uh, 
Man, this is tough. Um, you know, I'd go, I'd go J. Robert Oppenheimer just based off the success that Oppenheimer the film ha- has had. That's and I read one. Prometheus last year. Very interesting fellow. Uh, so I think that is a good one. If I'm gonna go an athlete, um, dead or alive, right? Dead or alive. Um, the opportunities are limitless. Athlete, um, I'd probably go Rob Gronkowski. I feel like he'd he'd be a good time, a good hang. Mm -hmm. Uh, and just, I think comparing Robert Oppenheimer to Rob Gronkowski, (laughs) I think would be uh, a pretty funny, uh, aesthetic. And then, um, let's see. So we've got a scientist, we've got an athlete. Let's see. Um, I would go, you know what? Uh, she's been in the news a lot this week. I'm going to go Greta Gerwig, one of my favorite wow. directors. Did, doesn't get nominated. Did for she get Barbie. snubbed? Yeah. Um, snubbed is tough because, you know, part of the, part of this exercise is, okay, well, which director are you taking off? Mm. that you didn't deserve to get nominated. And and so, you know, Greta, Lady Bird is my number two all-time favorite movie. Uh, Little Woman is fantastic. Another movie she didn't get nominated for Best Director for. So uh, I I think, in my opinion, I think Greta Gerwig, I think J. Robert Oppenheimer, and I think uh, Rob Gronkowski would be a weird but wonderful trio to share a deal with. Okay, you know what? I will accept that answer. I I, I was going to say, I'm like, is he going to throw a woman in there? So you really saved yourself at the end right there because I had to take ready to go. I will take that as a solid three from Connor Riley. Connor, thanks for joining me for another Dog Nation postseason coverage. We will be right back here next Thursday at 7 o'clock. The offseason never stops, guys, so we're trying to give you all the content that we can, and who knows what's going to be happening by this time next week. We've seen with the Caleb Down stuff that college football can truly go in any direction. So uh, thank you to Connor Riley, thank you to Dog Nation, and thank you to Jay Black and Cody Chaffins in the booth for being able to produce the show in our brand-new studio. We'll have some stuff on the shelves next time we see you. Thank you all, Dog Nation, for joining us, and we'll see you right back here on the pages of Dog Nation next Thursday at 7 o'clock.